Today's episode of Idle Weekend is brought to you by Bombas, a great place to get cool, creative, and above all, comfortable socks. Go to getbombas.com weekend to get 20% off your first order. Welcome to Idle Weekend. I'm Danielle Riendo, and I'm here with my co-host Rob Zachney to wind down another week. This week, we're talking about our inner 100 percenters, the need to grab every last knickknack or see every bit of content in our games, especially our really big games. So Rob, I think we both arrived at this topic uh, from, from our recent playing of Dishonored 2 and Mafia 3, two sort of big games that I think are really, really good, but they're also like... It's taking me forever and a day to beat them, both of them. I, I've even sort of like fallen off of Mafia 3 while I focus on Dishonored 2 because I am playing this game the way I used to play games when I was like a teenager and had time to play things by looking for like every single hidden thing in the world. Yeah, um, I am slowly being driven nuts by that score screen. <laughs> you get at the yes. end. Uh, and actually, I think there's there's a little more to it than just uh, like completion stuff, but that's that's a big part of it. Uh, I don't know why this is affecting me more than... So I remember with the original Thief, you also got a, you also got a screen like this. It wasn't maybe as granular, but Thief always told you, like, you stole X amount, but there was this much treasure out on the map that you could have found. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it also told you, like... You know, what was the body count? How much damage did you do? Usually, of course, if you're playing Thief, right, the answer was none because violence <laughs> is the mark of the amateur, of course. But <laughs> with Dishonored, it's there, there's a couple things. Like at the end of every level, it's like, oh, there were all these things uh, that yes. were lying around that you didn't just find, that you just didn't find. Uh, oh, here's all the interactions you had with NPCs that maybe weren't the interactions you wanted to be having. Uh, did you realize there was a way to do this without killing that person? Did you find that? No. Oh, well, maybe next time. And it adds up to this. <laughs> yeah. It adds up to this feeling that I wonder with with Dishonored. Is it? A concern that I'm not 100%ing, or am I just getting hung up on the feeling that I am missing a lot of stuff? Yeah, i i think it's a I think it's a dishonored thing. Um, I, I wrote about this a little bit this week, and like I used to be, you know, when I was young, I would play a hundred percent of of my games. I got every every single thing in like banjo kazooie to get the secret ending i got 120 stars in mario 64 i would get the 102 and 103 percent in like the donkey kong country games yes i know take a drink um like it's it's not every game now obviously i'm like fine with you know i like taking my time and looking around the world at any any game i'm really into like with alien isolation i i wanted to see every poster I wanted to see sort of every piece of art in that game. Yes. I wanted to see, I wanted, because there's so much rich world building in, in that sort of game. And, and they took so much time to like make it really look and feel like the world of the original Alien movie that I was like, this is a lot of the fun for me is finding all of this stuff and just looking at all this stuff. And it wasn't even really, you know, like that wasn't gamified for lack of a better word. It was just something I enjoyed about it and being in that right. world. No, like a perfect example is that, um, 
like in that first concourse you go into in yeah. Alien Isolation, there's all sorts of like posters everywhere. There's workplace safety like warnings. There's like yeah. rules and regs, and then there's your usual like, uh, you know, like future sci-fi like travel posters and yes. ads and shit. But oh, I remember I browsed that entire like that entire uh, concourse just looking at this stuff. And I think in a different sort of game that would have been game, and actually no, it would have been gamified because I'm playing Mafia Three as well, where the posters <laughs> on the wall actually are collectibles that you're supposed to find. Yeah. Like, hey, and good the Playboys and the yeah, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. Which, in a weird way, makes it less cool, right? Like, yeah. it, it felt like in Alien Isolation, you're rewarded for just sort of browsing these virtual spaces around. yeah and like picking up the detail <laughs> and it was down to you to notice this stuff whereas like mafia 3's approach is very much like hey did you notice the poster oh you didn't find the poster <laughs> oh well there's there's like four posters in that neighborhood maybe you maybe you should go back maybe yeah. maybe you want to see those posters yeah and like they're they're cool looking and that and that's why i'm looking for them in that game like i'm i'm getting I'm not I'm not sort of driven to the 100% in Mafia 3, but I'm definitely driven to like look for a lot of those extra things because they do look cool and they are interesting and they are doing world building, but you're absolutely right. The sort of like you're making an extrinsic motivation as opposed to an intrinsic motivation of just I want to see this stuff. Yes. I don't want I don't want to be rewarded for seeing this stuff. I just want to see it. Like I just want to look at it and be like, "Huh." you know what, an artist took some time on this, this looks like a lived-in space, this looks like a, you know, like what it's supposed to look like, and that's really cool, and I appreciate that. Um, with Dishonored, I think it's a Dishonored thing. I think this game is so well-designed, and so sort of like, the, the world itself is just so rich, I think is the word yeah. I, I, I want to use here. Every level has so many sort of valid approaches uh, yes. to, to sort of encountering any problem. You can do the stealth thing, you can do the combat thing, and you can do some weird mishmash of both. You can use your powers in interesting ways. You can go completely without your powers. Like, you can really actually play this in so many ways because there are so many nooks and crannies and sort of hidey holes and all sorts of things just sort of intelligently built into the levels that I actually, I want to see all of this stuff, not only because, oh yes, I totally want to have all the powers, I want to have, you know, I want all the stuff that's actually uh, valuable for the gameplay, but I also want to, I want to see everything. I want to know how they constructed these levels, I want to know how all of this stuff sort of fits together, how it all works together, because it's such an intricate, sort of, really, really well-designed, really intricately designed world. Yeah, and like, I think that's it makes it really different from a lot of other um, stat screens you find in games because, like, in a lot of open world games, those percentages just reflect meaningless garbage that is not worth trying to track down. <laughs> but like in Dishonored, what bothers me is not that I'm like I didn't get that rune. Like that's not the issue because like like really I, like for the way I'm playing. Usually, I only need a handful of stealth abilities, right? Like, I got my Shadow Walk, got my Far Reach. That'll change as I get into my um, Let the Bodies Hit the Floor uh, playthrough. <laughs> um, which yep. <laughs> I was thinking was going to be Corvo, but but here's the thing. Okay, we're going to go on a little tangent here. Please do. Um, this game is fucking awesome, and I could talk about it all day. <laughs> so, upon reflection, I'm wondering if... Emily isn't supposed to be played more violently than I was playing her. 
Mm-hmm. Because I remember in the opening stages, I was struck by how she didn't say much when she was like like quietly taking people down. But like when you killed a guard, she would say stuff like, traitors. Yes. Or you you were never you fit for the guard. You don't deserve this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, like, but I haven't gone down that route because, like, the way I play these games is usually to be as non-lethal as possible. Yeah. Uh, but, so I've been following, like, Tom Francis, I think, on Twitter, and he's been playing a much more... Um, like chaotic uh, sort of sort of playthrough, and I'm, I don't just mean that in the dishonored sense. Like literally, he is, he is an agent of chaos from the gifts he's posting. <laughs> but he also mentions that um, high chaos Emily. Like if if Emily Caldwin is killing a lot of people, she starts getting a lot of extra incidental dialogue that I'm not sure is really matched in the non-lethal version of the character. So like one thing he quoted was like she starts a metronome and she's like. Um, a death for every tick. I hope, it, <laughs> I hope you never stop running. Like, wow. and I'm kind of like, when I hear that, I'm kind of thinking, if you're building this extra stuff for a character that plays a certain way, that also seems to imply that on some level, for me at least, the writers felt more affinity for writing Emily a blood-soaked way rather than... <laughs> uh, you know, rather than being being low cast, the same reason. Like, I feel like um, the the, sa- the same way. I feel that like uh, slightly renegaded Shepherd, yeah. slightly renegaded Shepherd was just a more interesting and entertaining character. Uh, that's kind of how it feels, right? Is like, yeah. oh, there's these, there's this extra writing and stuff, like really interesting and like distinctive quality that makes me feel now like, oh, like. Was I forcing Emily to play my standard stealth way where, like, the truth is she is a very pissed off, like, empress, daughter of a murdered mother, (laughs) and a kidnap victim during formative years? Yeah. God, that's so interesting. I had no idea. I I did know that, you know, sort of... In the earlier days, like when this when the game first first came out, some folks had been talking about like Emily has some really cool combat powers, you know, sort of the way yeah. you can distract people. You know, you can use that totally to your advantage in terms of combat as opposed to, you know, the sort of non-lethal approach. And I sort of thought about that and I was like, that's cool. But, you know, I actually want to try playing this more stealthily because the first Dishonored, um, which I really, really liked what I did fall off of. I played that high chaos because mm-hmm. I kind of I kind of took the spirit of, you know, the way that the non-lethal options for your assassination targets or your elimination targets, whatever you call them, um, they were always worse than killing them. You know, that would, it's something we've talked about on the podcast before, but it was like, you know, the, kill them or make their lives hell was basically the thing. And I was like, well, killing is is more you know, sort of compassionate in this yeah, sense. I'm, I'm so not I'm just going to kill everybody. With that dude. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was kind of like, well, if that's the tone of the game, I'm going to fucking kill everybody. I would go in attempting stealth, and then once I got seen, I would kill everybody and be like, whatever, who cares? Uh, but this game, I'm actually, like, I've had, I've had like, two stages, two full stages where it was completely non-lethal. And otherwise, you know, there might be a body or two sort of by accident, um, which happens more than I would like it to, because there are certain things where it's like, if you get in sort of a fight... And, uh, you know, people are shooting things. They might shoot their colleague, and that counts as a kill against you, and it, it annoys me because I'm like, hey, 
I'm actually trying to go pretty non-lethal here. Yeah. But whatever. I'm not like restarting after a body drops or anything like that. I'm kind of like, I'm already driving myself insane by taking four to five hours for each level. <laughs> so it's it's that would just be pretty ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, it's it's kind of like, God, this is one of the very, very, very few games where I think I might play through it multiple times and try different approaches. And that pisses me off so much because I have like eight games yeah, I that I really need to play. <laughs> and it, and it's one of the only times it's actually justified because games, you know, always want to be the one game. That's how everything is sort of marketed. That That's why there's so much content. That's why there's so much stuff to do. There's the busy book sort of mentality in so many other games is, is designed to do this, to make you want to play it over and over and over again and find every last thing. But this one might actually do that for me because of this, because of the way it's designed, because of the way player choice is actually sort of honored uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, it's, 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 it's driving me bananas, but I, I love this game. I think it's fantastic uh yeah here i like i'm on the cusp of starting my second playthrough of uh dishonored 2 and when i'm done with that playthrough i might go back to dishonored 1 and maybe just never stop oh. playing dishonored basically yeah. just it's just gonna just be dishonored all going the way. through yeah <laughs> uh like but like basically like give me this give me the witcher and like a good racing game and my desert island will be uh, will be a pretty pleasant exile, I think. Seriously, but, yeah. But yeah, so like, <laughs> but I want to see how all these things work. I want to see like how other ways I could have forced the levels to function, uh, other than the sort of ways I discovered. Right, like, yeah. I want to understand other solutions to getting past certain uh, like sticky wickets that I that I had a real difficult time with uh, getting past without like. Uh, knocking a ton of people out or or slaughtering a bunch of people, um, yeah. I, I like I spent probably like three hours alone approaching the Royal Conservatory before oh, I God. even got into the building. Like yeah. that was probably the best neighborhood approach I've had in the game. Uh, it was just oh, such so a good. dense neighborhood, uh, and there's so much good like life happening in the in, in the streets and, and conversations between guards. Uh, but, the, but the other thing is like, yeah, so every rune you find, like, I'm good on powers. I don't need more powers. Uh, but every rune is also attended by a bit of story, a bit of, yes. like, there, there's, like, a tableau at each place you find uh, some temple, some, some, like, shrine to the outsider. Usually it's some, like, pretty unpleasant, like, spooky stuff, <laughs> but it's really cool. And so, like, if I get to the end of level and it says, like, well, you missed this, 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 and this, I don't need the stuff. I don't need the loot. I don't need, I don't need the rune. What I do want, though, is to discover what, like, delicious narrative nugget was hiding there what happened there exactly it, it's such a it's elevating the art of sort of you know people joke about the like skeletons and fallout like they're arranged in a certain way in a room and it tells a little story but like this is that on the on the such a higher level like a higher plane of that sort of environmental storytelling where it's like it, this was a puzzle that you kind of had to solve on some level and then there was actual real thought and real storytelling sort of uh, like a real approach towards storytelling to put this in a specific place and often to put some kind of text or some kind of letter or something there that, that also sort of explains whatever character was doing there, whoever hid that rune. It's, oh, it's so good. I'm reading every piece of like incidental text in this game. And I fi I'm finding that much more interesting than sort of the overt story 
of the game for sure. Yeah, honestly, like I do kind of think like it, it's weird. I, I went back and looked at my review, and in light of a lot of people sort of criticizing the way the story is relayed, and honestly, the story didn't come up that much for me. Uh, and in yeah. part, that's because. Like, what I'm into is the world, and so yes, for me, it yes. was like, oh, I'm unpacking all these, like, environmental, like, narratives and, and, and such. I do think it is actually lacking the good central storyline of Dishonored 1, which I actually think was really brilliant. Like, I think the saga of Havelock and the conspiracy yeah. um, was a really like fantastic tragic arc right like you knew they were bad people like yeah. you you knew they were in it for their own ends and they weren't really who they thought they were uh but the way it all culminates uh and the series of just betrayals and murders that sort of characterize the last act of the game is is really incredible and the fact that, yeah. it, that you know all these characters and you sort of see these see these things coming before they happen that isn't really the case in Dishonored 2, right? It's it's much more of a um it's much more of a go back to the ship and get your next mission. Mm-hmm. But you don't I never felt as invested in the central quest the way I did in sort of the ebb and flow of life at the Hounds Pit pub. Sure, sure. Yeah. I really I, like I really like the characters themselves. I really like Megan. Um, and Sokolov is interesting and, you know, like I, I'm, I'm interested in these people, but the, the sort of overall story feels very much in service to the gameplay. Like it's very yes. much, all right, here's your hub. All right, cool. You know, it's not, it's not terribly, terribly interesting, but I, right. that's not, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. And it's not taking me out of this world. I'm just right. like, yep, I want to dive in again. Like, and then the world is awesome. Stuff. Like, Oh yeah. You hear so many people talking about the the old duke, right? As opposed to the new duke. Like yeah. the the fact that you get a real sense for like, oh, this place has a history and things weren't always this messed up. Like yeah. as recently as like a few years ago, things were ticking along pretty well here. Yeah. And now it's all gone to hell. Um but you know, sort of our conversation I'm thinking here then there are these there are there are these like sides to completionism. Uh, that don't that don't work for me. Like we, we sort of started this by saying, like, oh, our 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 need to grab like everything we can, but I think we are talking about like the sort of like the sort of I hate using that word, but like the content we want to see. Because yeah. I don't find that I, that hook does not really get me sure. in a lot of other games. Like I have fallen off Mafia Three in part because. Well, okay, here's, so here's the psychology of what's happening in Mafia 3. I've heard multiple people say that it is a game best not completed 100%. Like, yeah. yep. pick and choose what you're doing in Mafia 3, but really, you are there for Lincoln's story, and uh, that's, that's kind of what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. But the game keeps putting all these little side missions in front of me, and I find it really hard to say no. Yeah. But the sum effect has been... I'm not saying no to the missions. Instead, I'm saying no to launching the game. Right. I'm like, yes. uh, do I really want to go and like beat up some more stash? I don't really care. I like, <laughs> like the first couple times I like drove up to a bunch of drug dealers with their like KKK like uh, paraphernalia and their Confederate flag. The first time I rolled up on those dudes and got out of the car and just like 
ended them was like, fuck you, yeah, this is awesome. Absolutely. Like the eighth time, like, I can't believe I'm saying this, but it turns out you can get tired of killing, <laughs> killing drug dealing claverns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I, like, I think that sort of, that, like games that sort of front, like put that sort of, look at all the bounty of, of random stuff to do games that do that actually turn me off. And yes. like, I don't find it compelling. Does that, does it work that way for you at all? It does. It definitely does because, uh, and it sucks because I really like mafia three. I just wish they had cut, <laughs> they had just cut some stuff out of it. it a leaner game would have been a, a better sort of overall game with that thing but but yes i i sort of this is this was a a feeling i first encountered at the age of 16 playing banjo tui the sequel to banjo nice which i still think is an excellent game excellent game that uh did some really fascinating stuff with sort of interworld design and interworld puzzles and it took the sort of adventure game dna that was actually in that series in a, in a really strong and interesting way and and took it to the next level but there were some quests in that game that just took so long and i started getting this almost anxiety about like okay 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 i just want to be on the next thing i just want to be on the next thing like this is taking too long like a weird sort of proto anxiety about how long things were taking me to do like it's it's a weird oh thing like i don't know if you ever feel this at work or anything like in your actual life but when things take you too long and you feel like oh god i should be on the next thing now i should be on the next thing now it's sort of the same feeling oh uh, god yeah that's that's my every waking hour to be honest yeah totally totally it happens a lot it's a very like anxious feeling you almost feel a little tightness in your chest about yep. it yep and that I can really pinpoint, like, the very first time I felt that way was in this sort of ice world oh, no. mission that was taking too long in Banjo-Tooie, and I started feeling that way, and I was like, oh, God, I gotta, I gotta move this along, and I feel that way so much when, I, when I'm getting these sort of, uh, these feelings that we're talking about in modern games, when it's like, oh, God, oh, God, I'm, this is taking too long, this mission is taking too long, I need to get on to the next, I need to move on, I need to keep this shit going, or else I'm gonna be... I don't know, wasting my time or, or spending too much time on something. It's like this weird, anxious feeling. And I get that. And it actually, it makes me like grind my teeth. It makes me feel anxiety. It makes me like, it actually puts me in a pretty bad mental place. And I'm actually, I'm even struggling with that in Dishonored when I'm kind of like, oh God, I really love this game. I really love this level design. I really love all these things I'm finding, but like, fuck man. Like I look on the stat screen and I've been in a level for five hours and I'm like, I have to finish this game and I need to play the next game. <laughs> like it's it's very much weighing on me in this sort of bizarre way. And it's I, like, I don't want to complain. This is not like, oh, my life is so hard. It's just sort of, it's it's this bizarre kind of, thing the game is demanding well, too much of me and i'm getting anxious about it i i definitely had like i like i had a morning when i was working on my review uh where i played like three levels in a row mm. that's a lot of dishonored wow. like that is a lot of dishonored yeah. Yeah. um now i'm gonna i'm gonna say like it, now here's the weird thing that was a great day like it sure. was stressful <laughs> but like it was an amazing day like it was a situation where sort of being forced to sort of like just like plug away at this game yeah. really let me like immerse myself in that world, but also like really forced me to start pushing those skills. Cause I'm starting to like, all right, I need to keep, I need to keep moving. Right. So yeah. like 
suddenly I was like being a lot more like I was sort of scrutinizing the floor plans you always find, being like, okay, here's okay, so here's where I'm gonna find, you know, and that was that was really cool. But I am very familiar with that. Like, uh, I do not like I am enjoying this experience, but I do not have it in my life to enjoy this the way I'm currently doing at the yes. moment. That's that's yeah. which which is a weird and and kind of kind of lousy feeling. Uh, so, something something else though. So it's not completionism per se, but maybe it is perfectionism because I think something else that's happening with Dishonored yeah. uh, is also happening now in a couple other games. Uh, I'm I'm uh, like the that I'm playing and I I, I tend to enjoy. Uh, so I needed a dumb stealth game after <laughs> uh, Dishonored. Like sure. And so I fired up Arkham Origins. Yes. Because um, I was like, because it's been like two years <laughs> since I played Arkham yeah. City and decided that I did not like where that series was headed. Sure. Um, which is a decision I largely stand by. Like, uh, the worst thing that happened in that series was people saying Arkham City was better. Because like, it just it just objectively isn't. Like, Arkham Asylum yeah. was the best Batman game. Like, it was it was a perfect Batman story. Yes. Uh, and then it was like, let's have a nonsensical open world uh, dog shit component. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yep. So I'm going back to play Arkham Origins, which is the one that uh, the Montreal studio did. And it's supposedly the, the one that is bad. I don't actually think it's that bad. Like, I think it's pretty good, actually. Like, yeah. it turns out, like, the the Batman games, like, you know, co- like timing-based combat... Uh, is really just endlessly satisfying. It's really fun. It's yeah. really good. And plus, like, you know, I'm out in L.A., like, it's it's uh, it's like the sort of, like, every day is sort of like the starting verse to White Christmas that only half performers ever use, um, <laughs> which is the, the you know, there's never been a such a day in Beverly Hills, L.A., uh, but it's, you know, it's, 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 it's warm, the sun is shining, yeah. um, there are, there are palm trees uh, swaying yeah. in the breeze and it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like december it, and as someone who's always grown up in the snow belt uh, and has lived in new england for a few years like yeah. as beautiful as the weather is there are also moments where i'm like this doesn't feel right totally so, yeah arkham origins takes place during a blizzard and i'm like that's cool and also it's a slightly more plausible reason for the city to be abandoned uh than arkham city which was what if we took a bustling downtown district and took it turned it into an open air prison yeah like yep man the, the gotham economy must be doing better than i thought <laughs> they could just like write off a borough don't need this shit anymore <laughs> uh but anyway so i'm playing arkham origins and the thing that's causing me to like it's not it, it was tripping me up is that the game grades each one of your encounters oh god every single fight you are told how well you did and it is actually pretty tough to get an a rating it's not that hard to get a b rating it's and you can you can f- fall off your chair and get a c rating it's fine <laughs> Uh, basically, like C rating is, yeah, uh, you, you beat these guys up. Way to go! You didn't get yeah. too, you didn't get too messed up. But like to get an A rating, you've got to like be flawless. You have to like use the combo system flawlessly. You probably want to mix in some abilities in there, and you don't want to take any hits. And that's really hard. But it's becoming an obsession for me to be a better vigilante. <laughs> and like 
it's not causing me to replay encounters because actually the game isn't designed in a way that encourages you to do that, right? It autosaves, so like sure. the game just keeps sort of moving. But it is becoming a fixation to like go back to the Batcave and like study up my combos and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that. Like really get my really get acclimated to the combat system and really like like magic starts to happen when Batman has landed like more than eight or nine hits in a row. And by the time he's like up to a you know times fifteen combo, um, like people are just exploding, and oh, yeah. like, it, it's really satisfying. But it's becoming an obsession, sort of similar to racing games in some yeah. ways, where it's like, oh, that was good, and I could be happy with that. But instead, I'm going to choose to fixate on the fact that I know there's a theoretical, <laughs> theoretically better oh, result I could have gotten. Yeah. Oh. I know, like, even even listening to this, I'm, like, getting anxious, because I'm like, yeah, I could do better, I could do better, I could do better, and it just creates this, this exalted position of perfection that you're just, like, when you're looking for a game to play, and you're tired, and you had a hard day at work, or whatever, hard day in life, life is hard, man, and you're just kind of like, I want to play something, but I'm not up for this right now. Yes! Life is too fucking hard and for my games to also demand this much from me <laughs> yes and when you start to feel that way about a game like arkham origins which is basically <laughs> at heart yo you're batman why don't you go beat these dudes up when you start to feel at like 9 30 at night like oh i just do not have it in me to go yeah. be batman and go beat these thugs yeah. up i need something similar like something's fucked up something's but like wrong and is it the games doing this to us? Like, are, is is the is the instant feedback of like, oh, you found this, you missed that. Uh, here's how you did on every single thing you did. Is that fucking with us? I think or it is. Is it just I our neuroses coming home to roost? I mean, first of all, I'm sure we're just neurotic in the in the beginning. Like, I think people who who want to do well and want to perform well, we you know we all have neuroses. <laughs> Like it's it's a thing. It's a thing that's trained into us from like our education system and our parents and yes. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but this sort of emphasis on performance in that way, like I'm sure some people really love it. I'm sure some people are like, this is really helpful. You know, like competitive gamers, I'm sure find this very useful information. <laughs> Speedrunners, I'm sure find this very useful information. But somebody who's honestly trying to play a game to to have like an experience with it and enjoy it and like get something out of it but not feel as if they're being graded god it's crazy it just it, it's driving me crazy yeah like it's it's not the healthiest <laughs> instinct to, to have with this and it and it's sort of it seems like a design decision like here's all this information like we're we're sort of living in a world where we it's easy to get a lot of information about the things that we do, uh, at least on, on, on that level. Yeah. Anything that's sort of done in a simulation like this, right? In a, in a computer simulation. Yeah, so, I'm not sure Mario 3 could have tracked... The, like, it had a score, yeah. and you could, you could affect that, but like I'm not sure Mario 3 could have given you feedback on, like, okay, well, you missed some of these pipes, and oh, uh, did you know there's a few Koopas who still have the shells? Yeah. Oh, God, can you imagine? Oh, legitimately got a tightness in my chest. No, like, no, that. seriously, like, I don't like, I don't like talking <laughs> about this. I don't like talking like, about this. No. Like, yeah. Because just imagine, like, 
I suspect enough happened to us young in life to already make us a little weird about stuff like this. But now I'm just yeah. imagining, like, at that point, you're basically, like, Skinner boxing, like, yes. little, like, six-year-old Danielle and Rob, right? Yes. It's basically, like, how weird can I make these kids? Yeah. How obsessed with stupid percentages in a video game can you make these weird children? <laughs> but But to an extent, I do like that, like, that it does foreground the fact there's maybe more going on in these games than meets the eye. Like Arkham, sure. like it would be really easy to play Arkham, and sometimes I do want to just be that, like just beat the shit out of dudes and have fun. But I do kind of like that it says, "Hey, I'm glad you enjoyed smashing those thugs in the face, <laughs> but did you know there was an even better way to go about it? And you can't just left click your way through this game." it actually helps if you sort of plan and think about how these encounters play out, which is kind of cool. And so I do kind of dig that aspect to it. I just wish I could detach this this weird need to excel at those systems from the fact those systems exist to sort of grade you on your performance. Yeah, I almost wish something like that was, was like an option. Like in the options menu... Great, you know, like, tell me my grade or don't tell me my grade. <laughs> like, like, give me a pass-fail option, basically, like, <laughs> for, for certain God, games. Oh, God, just imagine how, like, <laughs> everything in life could be like this. and It'd be terrible, right? Like, you know, you finish parallel parking. And, like, oh immediately God. your car, like, before you, as you turn off your car, like, a little score screen pops up on the dashboard being, like, you box that guy in a little bit behind uh, you, and yeah. uh, you're actually eight inches from the curb. God. Just just so you know. I wonder if people are listening to this and are, are like, wow, these people are fucking weird. Like, these people were clearly terrified by the school system or something. <laughs> like, who had a bad report card when they were eight? Like, this is... <laughs> Well, I, in my case, it wasn't a bad report card when I was eight. It was more like bad reports car, report cards from the age of eight through eighteen. Yeah, like I, I, did I, real- I failed two subjects in my junior year of high school. Like I failed algebra two and physics, and I almost failed English that year. I came within like a point of fa- like I have severe anxiety over numbers and grading. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh- my senior year, I probably technically shouldn't have graduated, uh, sure. but by yeah. that point, like a very kindly math teacher, um, who was also pretty much checked out by that point, like he sure. hit, he had hit a point in his career where he was like, I just realized I don't want to be a math teacher anymore. Yep. Uh, so he was sort of looking at me, and he was like, "So you've you started cutting my class like a quarter of the time. I see you like three <laughs> or four days a week, and you're <laughs> usually like playing paper football or." Uh, creating, like, D&D characters in the back. Uh, he was like, but you just really need to get the fuck out of high school. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, like, like go you're, to gonna, college, you're gonna be, be fine, right. but, yeah. like, you need to get out of here. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, no, there, I think definitely there was a lot of um, a lot of always feeling like I was about to be found out uh, yep. at, in, in school, and yeah. I do wonder if some of those buttons are, some of those, um, some of those buttons, the wiring is still there, and now it's been wired into the feedback systems of these video games. I, you're absolutely right. Like I had, <clears throat> I went to Catholic school, and Catholic schools where a lot of not okay things happen. And like I had teachers who, like, when I would fail a test, like my physics teacher would like show it up, like he would point it, he would hold it up in front of the class and be like, "Danielle failed," 
And like it would just he would laugh about it. And I have like a, a Are you a, shitting me? I am not joking. I am not even slightly joking. Like there's a lot of very not okay things that happen in Catholic school, or at least did in the nineties and early two thousands. So yeah. That was a thing. So I have like legit anxiety about performing and performing for like you know I guess I guess in this case the game is the authority figure, which is hilarious and stupid, but it kind of is a little bit. Anyway. God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yep. This is why we. This is why we're game journalists. This is why we do the things we do. I guess. Yeah. Or it's one reason. We're high achieving, but we were too messed up to deliver on that potential. So here we are. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Yay! Here we are. Well, on that really bright note, <laughs> I think <laughs> I think we should. Uh, take a moment to hear uh, from our sponsor and then listen to, to some letters from other uh, wonderful high achievers. Danielle, I got you something for our one-year podcast anniversary. Oh, my God. I got you something, too. Oh, me first, me first. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. All right. Well, I know how much you like my socks. I do. And every time I see you, I think there's a guy who looks like he's enjoying some honeycomb arch support. Well... I got you a pair of ankle-length Bombas Champs to go with your running shoes. I know you've been admiring them. Oh, I have. They're so fast-looking. LG will keep their fit snug all winter long, Danielle. I love them. But, Rob, I sold my running shoes to get you these fall morals to go with your climbing shoes. What? With the Invisito and everything? That's right. And the reinforced footbed so your feet will spend the whole holiday season feeling like they're on cloud nine. I think they'll go great on your hikes. But, Danielle, I already sold my hiking boots to buy your champs. Oh no! If only we'd been able to get some kind of discount. Wait. I'm looking on their website, and I think we can. If you go to getbombas.com slash weekend, you get 20% off of your next order. And it looks like for every pair we buy, Bombas donates a pair to a homeless shelter. What an incredible deal. I'm definitely going to getbombas.com slash weekend to buy more of these snuggly socks. Happy podcast anniversary, Rob. Now go get your 20% off your next order and use the savings to replace all those shoes we sold. Okay, so our first letter comes from Joe. Joe writes, Hi, R&D. My last email was really long, so I'll keep this one short. Rob, when you mentioned Civil War Ireland as a place you were interested in seeing more about in games media, I immediately thought of this war of mine. The lengths to which your characters will go in order to secure simple human comforts, be it medicine or a single stale cigarette, is breathtaking. While the denizens of that game are particularly unlucky, it really is all about trying to adapt and carry on while the world turns into a dumpster fire around you. This War of Mine is on the short list of games I show people who, who think maturity in games is not possible. I could go on, but I believe a little podcast called Three Moves Ahead has a great discussion about it, and I encourage people to check out both the game and that 3MA episode, No Coffee, No Smokes, I believe was the title. Joe. So I actually haven't played this War of Mine. I've had it oh, on. Oh man! I've had it in my Steam library since it came out. I've been interested in it, but it, it's one of those games where I feel like 
I actually heard so much about it from podcasts and from discussions with people and just seeing it that I almost feel like I've played it already. It, it, it's an unfortunate uh, example of sort of overexposure um, by other media. Uh, right. But I, I, I'm still interested in playing it and giving it a shot and, and having sort of my own stories with it. But it's definitely one of those where it's like, I think I got the point of it without even touching it, which is sad uh, because yeah. I know it's like a very good and interesting game and it does a lot of interesting things. It does. It's a, it's a pretty good survival game. And the, the art style is pretty cool. I, I think it definitely has uh, some, some serious shortcomings. Like the more I played it, uh, the more reservations I developed about its uh, really kind of out there survivalist bent. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The fact that like the game really did come from this position of, oh man, once social order breaks down, it's every man for himself, and yeah. it's just you're going to be in this Hobbesian nightmare, and people are going to come and try to steal your stuff at night. So you need guns, and and like, I'm not entirely oh, sure yeah. that's how that stuff plays out. Yeah, somebody wrote in uh, thumbs uh, once, like we were discussing it at one point, and somebody wrote in and was like, "I actually survived a situation like this," and people were a lot nicer and shared you know kind of like everybody was kind of at least in this person's experience and i'm super paraphrasing um but they were saying like you know people people really shared and kind of came together a little bit more than what's depicted in the game so it's yeah maybe not always right it works (laughs) right so like that started to taint it for me a little bit but i i still sort of enjoyed what the game was going for and it's it's overall um grinding feel of, of of waging war against despair uh which is a big part of uh, you know in, in a lot of ways that's your real adversary uh in the yeah. game is that uh it's 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 possibly not hunger uh that's or, or violence that's going to like kill your your survivors it's going to be uh like just the increasing weight of despair uh that makes them unable to really function well enough to survive uh, that's that's the thing you've got to watch for, uh, which I thought was was kind of nifty and and an interesting insight. And it was a great show we had with um, Evan Narcisse uh, from oh, from yeah. Kotaku, uh, who had some interesting experiences in that game. And uh, God, and we desperately need to get on this show, uh, yes. if only to talk oh about God. comics for for three hours. Yes. But yeah, it's uh, it, it's definitely an interesting game. I, I don't think it would be a good representative of the uh, the the Northern Irish uh, conflicts. Again, in part because the weird thing about those that that the those wars, uh, the the troubles is that you never actually even approached uh, societal collapse. You know what I mean? Like with the exception yeah. of possibly like some some of the early uh, riots and like open like warfare in the streets in like the late sixties. Um, the the thing I always find sort of compelling about that setting is like ultimately most things stayed open. You know, <laughs> most of the war was fought by cops. Um, it's it's it, it was it, that I think that that sort of uh, that profound weirdness is what I find sort of fascinating about it. Do you remember Sean Vanneman told a really great story about it uh, on an old Idle Thumbs, where yeah. um, he and his mom went to went back to Ireland, and they were at a they, they were at a pub, and uh, there was an unattended bag, like I guess sitting on a table where they were drinking, yeah. and his mom kept scooting it away. And the guy at the other end of the table kept scooting it back toward them, <laughs> and eventually they looked. They looked at each other and sort of like had this nervous laugh because, like, it, you know, it, like nobody believed for a moment there was any danger. But like anyone who grew up in that generation, yeah. 
can't like not have that reaction. Can't right. have that like can't not have that like vague fear that this thing could be really dangerous. Uh, which uh, I thought was a was a really interesting uh, and and sort of touching story about yeah. uh, the marks that stuff leaves. Uh, our next email comes from Sean Z. What's up, R and D? Long time, first time. This is very sports radio, Shanzi. I love it. Uh, San Francisco resident and ex-Chicagoan. There's been a lot of stress for me lately, but at the forefront is the emotional strain of multiple recent family deaths. Both my grandmothers passed away this year, and my grandfather nearly died of kidney failure. He's okay now, thank God, but he's still recovering from hip surgery. In the last episode, Rob mentioned that games can sometimes be intended to be used as an escape, but instead of becoming something close to a commentary and offer pretty valuable insight. This kind of experience doesn't happen to me often, but my latest escape of choice, Dark Souls 3, made me realize something a little strange. One of the Souls series' central themes is the concept of death and the idea of reincarnation and its cyclical nature. On the surface, the games poke fun at you for dying in-game. It'll leave you with a short dying animation and a blunt, You died! across the screen, (laughs) and tosses you back into the thick of things to try again. Death, in that universe, is only a minor inconvenience. You get back up, you clean yourself off, and you keep going. And if the chosen undead decides to let all of existence crumble and die, your soul will reappear eons later and pick pick up right where it left off. The game treats death in a rather interesting way. Mechanically, death is expected and fairly common, but only a small setback. Story-wise, it represents a deeper notion of starting over, learning from your mistakes, and becoming the best undead you can be, even if it takes a couple dozen generations. This raises the question, though, of how games treat the concept of death and whether it represents anything larger. While Mario can get hit by a Goomba and fall down, Sephiroth can murder Aerith and create an incredible narrative uh, narrative push stemming from permanent player death. That the entirety of that dragon cancer revolves around the impending death of a child. The only way to escape the perpetual time loop and oxen free is to abandon the possibility of helping the dead and leaving the island cave alone. Maybe it depends on the genre you're playing, but death is often tossed to the wayside as a generic game mechanic, but occasionally becomes becomes something a little deeper. Have you played any games that treat death in a unique way? I think Rogue Legacy does some interesting things with death uh, because it's sort of, you know, it's a roguelike uh, already or lo- roguelite, whatever the hell you want to call it. Uh, but you sort of, you give traits to the next sort of explorer and there, there's some progression for sure. Uh, but there's a, there's a sense of death is, is, is something that happens in every family and you sort of pick up that legacy, you know, literally pick up that legacy and sort of go forth with it. And there's sort of a feeling of familial obligation there uh, with regards to death and and sort of the things that you that you pick up from your deceased loved ones and and that sort of thing. And I think that's actually really interesting. It's 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 more of a a thematic concept than, you know, I mean, it is certainly a, a part of the gameplay because you are always kind of inheriting a trait and then moving on and then sort of getting, you know, getting some of the wisdom basically uh, from your elders, your forebears, whatever. Uh, but it it's, I think that's super interesting. And I, I would, I would like to see that concept explored in more games for sure. Also uh, just thank you, Sean, for, for sharing your story. I actually, the last like, Two idle weekends we've recorded. I've gotten like bad news about a family member dying or being near death. So I like I hear that for sure. Um, 
So I think I'll kick it back to uh, sort of the conversation we had with Alexis Kennedy, um, you know, a couple months ago. Yeah. About sort of death in Fallen London and Sunless Sea, uh, particularly Sunless Sea, since that's actually where death becomes a real possibility. Um, and I was sort of interested to sort of hear Alexis talk about how, you know, the way death is sort of woven throughout the games, uh, throughout that, that world, and yet death itself is kind of non-existent. Yeah. That uh, there's just various different states of existence and different phases to undeath uh, in in uh, Fallen London. So I thought that was that was pretty interesting in the fact that like only in Fall in Sunless Sea uh, can you actually sort of die in that world uh, if you if you're lost at sea. Yeah. Uh, and there's sort of a you know a narrative justification he explains uh, in that show, but um, I think the thing that intrigues me about that is a you've got the repetition till you get it right aspect going on in Sunless Sea where like you replay. Uh, a lot of familiar story beats and maybe try different things. Uh, maybe you don't. But then the other thing that you do is um, you can, st- like, if you get far enough along, you can start trying to leave things for uh, your successors. Uh, and so I, I was sort of intrigued by the inheritance aspect of, uh, of, Sunless, of, of Sunless Sea, where, like, yeah. an increasing part of the game becomes about preparing for your inevitable death and making sure that the next the next man up or the next woman up uh, has an easier time of it than you did, yeah. uh, which I I found kind of interesting. This idea that uh, inheritance is something that you you know that you need to think about. Uh, in that vein, I think Crusader Kings Two is a mm. really interesting game about death uh, and one of the few strategy games that for all the murder and mayhem and strategy games, uh, Crusader Kings two is absolutely a game about um, confronting mortality and, and sometimes, and sometimes <laughs> advancing the cause of mortality. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, like something you'll run into a lot in that game. Like really like the, the, the heart of the game is inheritance. Uh, it's, it's about like, figuring out how to pass on what you've accomplished in your ruler's life uh, and making sure that it goes uh, as a block to someone you want to see run things. And the trick is a lot of medieval life is structured in a way to try and break up large blocks of holding, holdings and uh, and to try to distribute resources among leaders of varying abilities and so you're constantly trying to have to contend with that so another weird thing that you run into a lot in crusader kings 2 is like if you're on a real role and your 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 ruler your your lord is you know approaching middle age you start looking around and thinking about like who's going to take over when you're gone right like who in your family is is really worthy of 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 running this because you will be playing your heir like the next person up is going to be you so the question is like what like who do you want who do you want your avatar to be and how do you make sure that you give yourself as much agency and power uh, as you possibly can uh, so Crusader Kings two creates a lot of like uh, game versions of the Lion in Winter uh, mm-hmm. if you're familiar with that movie uh, which everyone should be because it's the best movie. Um, <laughs> And so you have those, like, you know, you're looking at 
your 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 two worthless sons and your brilliant daughter who's disinherited, and you're like, how am I going to finagle this to see that she actually runs this? Yeah. And sometimes the answer is changing inheritance laws. Sometimes the answer is making sure that there's no choice and that there are no legitimate male heirs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's another thing that happens in those games. Oh, God. That's super fascinating. I need to play that, too. <laughs> another thing added to the list. All right. The next letter comes from Will from Chicago. Will writes, this is going to be kind of a long walk, but bear with me. I was listening to another games podcast recently, and the hosts were talking about how much better Uncharted 4 is than Rise of the Tomb Raider. That the plot, that quote, the plot is so much better in Uncharted, unquote. Which game is superior is neither here nor there, but it got me thinking about what good plot is in games. I just finished Virginia, and while I don't really like it, I deeply respect its attempt to try something that most biggish games don't, introducing abstraction to the way it rolls out its narrative. While it could be argued that Virginia apes as many traditions from the uh, now well-known territory of Lynch, it really forces the player to engage with it. For you to enjoy the game, it requires you to ask, what is this game telling me, why, and how? I think there's a reason why Playdead's Inside has become such a critical darling this year. Like every great work of art, it balances abstraction and direction. It leads players, a, uh, it leads players along with familiar sensations, like jumping on platforms, and subverts those sensations again and again. Last of Us leaves a lingering impression because there's no hero in its otherwise traditional narrative. And the Bloody Baron is, well, the Bloody Baron. I guess where I'm heading is this. In the West, and probably in the East, we have simple narrative archetypes that have existed since humans could communicate. Those archetypes will always be blockbusters because they resonate with an overwhelming majority of people precisely because they are simple and predictable, like Uncharted 4. On the other hand, we'll always have fine art and art house fringe stuff, like Virginia. But in the past 60-plus-ish years, we've also found a happy medium uh, between these two poles in cinema. The movies that really sing with both critics and also get asses in seats, like Arrival. Take a tradition that people can grok and tease it in to something different, like Inside. So here's the question. It seems the game industry is heading in the right direction. Gamers figuring out that each Assassin's Creed story will always be the same thing, and developers are realizing that seeming they're realizing that and seemingly responding to it in the AAA space. As more money and more people fill out our medium, our industry is able to grow and mature in how it tells stories. What are some games in the AAA or AA space that other listeners should check out that hit that happy medium? That approach to narrative and plot in a meaningful, possibly abstract way, but are still fun to play. When do we get our arrival equivalent in video games? Witcher not allowed because Witcher. As always, with love, Will from Chicago. Oh, man. So is that no Witcher games of any kind? Or just... Because <laughs> I agree. Like, let's not talk about Witcher 1. Um, Will, have you played Witcher 3? <laughs> you play, have you played this game called The Witcher 3? It's real good. <laughs> uh, Witcher 2 is real good, though, too. Anyway. Oh. Um, so... Just off the bat here, though, I I do kind of feel like I think there's an inclination in this letter, though, like, I think Will is seeing progress in a situation where I don't think progress is really happening. It's just um, the fact that you sort of selectively 
screen for the good stuff when you look back <laughs> through the past, right? Like, because I, because I, I actually. Like early in my career, I wrote a piece that was kind of like, look at how like much the industry is maturing and the types of stories we're telling, and we've, it sort of matches an evolution that's happened with with film. And uh, LB Jeffries, uh, God rest uh, his his dear departed internet uh, games writing persona, oh. um, LB Jeffries popped up in the comments to be like, eh, I don't know if that's accurate though. He's like, to me, like the thing he brought up was Sturgeon's Law is inescapable. Um, and you only don't see it when you look at the past because nobody remembers uh, all the all the mediocre garbage, right? So I think maybe there there are moments where you see sudden gusts of innovation and maturation in a medium like '70s cinema was a revolution that actually happened. Like it, yeah. like you can you can go back and you look at movies that were making in the '50s into the '60s, and then sort of the the new wave that hit in that era. Um, and then how filmmaking changes. But I think you can go back to, I mean, good God, like take theater. You can go back as far as you want, and there's always been art that's, like the stuff that lasts is the stuff that is sort of insightful and thought-provoking um, and also puts asses in seats. Yes. Right? Yeah, I agree. I mean... <sighs> I want to. I I want very much to say that there is a little bit of progress. Like when I'm looking at some of the games from this fall, especially like Mafia Three and Watch Dogs yes. Two, which does drop the ball. Let's be clear, but at least it starts with like incredible, like interesting characters and actually has a few scenes. There was a, a piece at Waypoint this week actually about like what it what it actually does with race and what it actually like does some smart nuanced things and then fucks up but at least there's there's something there um i only read twitter so i just assume that austin was calling for a boycott yeah of course i mean <laughs> a complete and total boycott yeah. of all things yeah no but no. like <laughs> honestly like it, j- just to hear a game picks up complicated issues and yes. runs with them and stumbles eventually yes. like is still like hey good on you i'm i will take that ride with you until it gets icky because uh, at least at least there was an attempt to engage with those issues. Yeah, I, and I, and it felt at least in Austin's words like a like a genuine attempt and not like a, a crappy, <laughs> you know, like a hand wavy thing. At least at first. So I do I do like to think that there is uh, some at least some more mature writing uh, in in bigger games. Like we're seeing some of it at least. I don't I definitely don't think we're like we're not even at the the good popcorn point yet necessarily but like hey at least there are moments and i'm gonna be happy that there are moments um and i'm gonna call for more moments of course but but it's it's very i i continually will will go back to this and i will continually tell people who are interested in like you know a little bit more nuance in their stories to keep looking at smaller games not even just the really tiny personal games although that's where you're going to get the the most real ass real emotions um but even the sort of like you know the the term the the like fancier indies whatever the the closer to triple a indies you, you'll find some like actually good storytelling interesting characters yeah, I know. I still think Firewatch did a great job with this and had a really interesting story and good characters. Take a fucking drink, I guess. <laughs> Again, um, I won't say Witcher. You already know how we feel about Witcher. Um, but but yeah, there there are places where this 
is growing. I think there there are definitely places where this is growing. It's just very, very slow progress. And we can always go back to the whole thing about, you know, it's it's difficult. It's certainly not impossible, but it is difficult to sort of marry the gameplay traditions that we know are marketable with really, really strong, mature, interesting story. I think we're starting to see it, but it's it's a long it's a long walk, as as you say, Will. It's a, it's a long walk. <laughs> All right. So on that note, I think it's time for us to talk about our weekend projects. Rob, what what have you been into lately? Uh, so I've been uh, a little busy this past week, but I did watch a very interesting movie that I think is relevant to uh, our interests. Yes. I uh, just watched a movie called Waitress. Oh, good. Um. So that is starring uh, Carrie Russell and Excellent. Nathan Fillion. Good. Um. And it's so, but so it's it's a it's it's an indie movie from like uh, like ten years ago or something. Uh, yes, yeah, from from two thousand seven, uh, and it was directed by Adrienne Shelley, and uh, it was actually her her, her last film. Uh, oh, she okay. she was um she, she was unfortunately actually killed uh, oh my God. A, a, a year a year or so later uh but um the movie is about Carrie Russell is this uh like small town waitress uh who discovers that she is pregnant uh by her husband who she fucking hates because he's the worst piece of shit <laughs> uh ever to live. Yeah. Uh, like maybe my one criticism of the movie is maybe it's like a little c- too cartoonishly awful with how <laughs> shitty her husband is. Yeah. On the other hand, the guy's an emotionally manipulative man-child um, who treats her badly, and there's a persistent threat of physical abuse. Yeah. Uh, which I suspect is a actual reality for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, so, but she's the she, but the thing the movie doesn't shrink from is like. She is in this small town. She doesn't make much money. Her husband controls the finances. Like, she has no escape. And the fact this kid appears um, is, like, the shackles coming on. And she's not going to be able to escape this. And Nathan Fillion is the new OBGYN uh, in town. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's it's partly a... It's partly just a movie about her wrestling with this life change that's coming and like trying to figure out like how to escape this life that is turning into a waste. Yeah. Um and and a, a persistent like threat that hangs over this movie is like this real dread that uh the Carrie Russell's character has of like going through your entire life and this is just it. This is it. This is all you get is just struggle and misery and mistreatment and uh you know uh, like hopes that never come to pass. Yeah. The other part of the movie, though, is the affair she has with Nathan Fillion. Good. Um, and it is. It, so the movie's actually a comedy, and a, a big a, a big part of it is like. It's a movie that basically these two people have this affair, and there is not an ounce of like guilt or ambivalence good. about it. Like yeah. they have a really good like extramarital affair uh, <laughs> behind her husband's back. Um, but it's also sort of about uh, the relationships she has among 
the rest of her, her crew at the uh, at the diner. You know, it's it's sort of that classic indie uh, movie motif, right? A lot of lot of colorful characters yeah. in a uh, in a working class uh, situation. But I do like that it is a movie that attempts to attempts to wrestle with the reality of. Um, The, the the reality of uh, of poverty and limited opportunities that can happen to 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 people who aren't making much money in like yeah. small town rural America, yeah, like just how just how small and cloying that world uh, can become, and how difficult just everyday shit becomes, like getting to work every day uh, when you only got one car. Um, so, but it's it's a it's it's a pretty it's, it was a pretty enjoyable movie and an interesting one to watch, uh, both because the, like watching it. I kept sort of expecting um, Elizabeth from the Americans yeah. to sort of show up and just fuck this dude up. Like I kept waiting. Like like there was a part of me that's like I would I, I would watch a sequel where like they can do some sort of parent trap type thing where Carrie Russell's two characters in the same movie yep. and like Elizabeth and Philip just pass through town and just like fuck up this shitty husband she's got. That would have been awesome. Oh, that sounds really um, good. Yeah, but. <laughs> So it was interesting to watch in, in in that light. It's also interesting to watch like this movie about um, about like misogyny and poverty in small town America uh, from ten years ago in the wake of like uh, you know the the twenty sixteen elections. Yeah. Um, it's just it's interesting to to look at this movie uh, through that lens as well. Yeah. Oh, that sounds really good. Um, my pick. Well, I'm going to I'm going to do two because I'm not really going to talk much about one of them. I'm just going to say it's it's very much worth seeing. Uh have you seen Arrival? No, it's on I definitely want to. Sure, sure. I mean, somebody mentioned it uh in in a letter this week as well. And uh I saw it. I I thought it was very very good. I actually probably am not going to praise it as hard as a lot of people. I think it it's a little schmaltzy at the end. There's some Ooh. There's a little bit of cheese there where it's it's kind of like unexpected cheese you know how i feel about cheese you i love, love cheese. Some cheese i yeah. love cheese, but this is not a cheesy movie like it's uh -huh. not this is this is a very serious and sober and very well done movie that kind of has some like unexpected cheese and i think unexpected cheese is less awesome than like we're gonna just uh, be earnest and cheesy man you know what i mean like it's, right it's you gotta like, wear your cheese on your sleeve yeah but surprise cheese is not surprise cheese and not a very on. serious movie is like mm, and and people might disagree with me on this. It's more it just sort of the lines kind of at the end are a little like oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. Um, but but it's not. It is not. That's a, that surprised me because that's the dude who directed Sicario, which is a pretty anti cheesy movie in a lot of ways. Ninety nine percent of this movie is anti cheese, and then there's okay. just a little bit at the end, and it's like mm, mm, I don't know. Um, you gagged on it a little bit. It, maybe it's not even cheese, but it's schmaltz. A little okay. bit of schmaltz at the end. Okay. There. Uh, and like, please do not take that as not a reason to watch the movie. It's it's very very well done. Amy Adams is incredible in it. Like, really, man, I really am so glad to see her get like a cool role because like she made so many shitty romantic comedies that didn't oh. like need to exist. And I, I was like, oh no, is this all that happens to good actresses? But like, then this. Yeah, she she is fucking fantastic in this. Like, very like. Shades of, uh, of of Jessica Chastain in um, why can I not think of the name of the 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 movie that she did so well in that was that was a tough fucking movie. Um, 
Uh, million dollar? No. No. It's, it's, uh, the, the recent, movie. and it was Catherine. Um, I'm just looking. Yeah. This here. I'm so sorry. I'm having such a giant brain fart here. Anyway, she, she, excellent. The, the role I'm talking about is Jessica Chastain as the the oh. FBI, uh, not FBI, uh, NSA, uh, the sort of new agent who helps find Osama bin Laden. The yes. Oh right, 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 right. Yes, you know what I mean, and zero I dark apologize, 30. and I'll put this in the show notes, but... Yeah, yeah. Zero Dark Thirty. Zero Dark right? Thirty, exactly. Yep. Shades of that, like, that serious, that intelligent, uh, and that compelling to bring off serious and intelligent in such a, like, really never stops being entertaining, as well as being just incredibly interesting and smart, and just very, very well done. Um, yeah, so, watch that. <laughs> and then I'm just gonna briefly also say Search Party is a show that I'm really, really enjoying. Uh, it's a show, it's it's sort of like a, you know, Millennials in Brooklyn, uh, but but way more interesting than that probably sounds. Uh, it's it's almost like, you know, if Girls was had sort of a, a murder mystery plot. Yep. And also was maybe a little bit more reflective than Girls actually is. Uh, so it's Aaliyah Shockwatt, um, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, is, is sort of this this young woman. She's in her late 20s, and she has this 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 boyfriend who's kind of like, you know, they're just kind of living together and, and making it work. And they have these two friends who are who are like super shallow but very funny. Uh it's it's like this this gay dude who is who is like, you know, always doing a million projects. He always has like a million projects. He has like a nonprofit and he also is like a fashion designer and he does all this other stuff. And their their female friend is an actress. She's like a successful actress on a shitty, terrible cop show, like a shitty cop procedural. And they just have like wonderful rapport and wonderful dialogue about their goofy, weird lives. But also, Aaliyah, uh, her character, Dory, finds out that this person they went to college with, this this young woman they went to college with, and they didn't know her really well, but it was like somebody in their dorm that they talked to sometimes, has gone missing uh, like, and it's like this big mystery and they think she's been killed, but she thinks she's seen her somewhere. And there's this whole really interesting and fun and weird sort of actual mystery plot kind of going on where she's trying to find her. And she feels very much like she has kind of this dead end or kind of stupid job she's not interested in. And she feels like her life with her friends is like a little bit stilted. And so she kind of goes into this bizarre world of this woman who had gone missing and her weirdo boyfriend and and hooks up with a pi trying to find her and it's and it's really fun and interesting and it also has like a lot of shades of you know living in brooklyn being a millennial in brooklyn yeah. i guess i'm at the tail end of millennial but whatever you know the, the sort of weird lives that you encounter every day when you live here and you see people and you you make friends with with all kinds of different people from all walks of life there's there's a sort of wonderful weirdo and warm quality of being a millennial in Brooklyn <laughs> that uh, that this show touches on. It's almost like it's it's almost more broad city than girls, I guess. Uh, not nearly as okay. sort of goofy and funny. It's it's still very funny, uh, but the sort of awkwardness, the honest yeah. awkwardness that Broad City brings, this definitely has a lot of touches to that. So I'm really, really enjoying this show. And you know how I am. Whenever you add a, a mystery to anything, I'm also oh, yeah. like, 10 times more on board, so... Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's it's a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying it. So those are that's those are my picks for this week. Okay. Well, on that note, uh, go watch some cool things, play some cool things, and I think it's time for us to head out and enjoy our weekends. Uh, this episode of Idle Weekend is produced by yours truly and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. 
you can learn more about Idle Weekend at idleweekend.net and send us questions for our weekend correspondence at questions at idleweekend.net. To keep up with the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at Idle Weekend. And we want to thank you always for listening. And to if you're enjoying this podcast, please do take a moment to rate us on iTunes and to tell a friend, tell an enemy, tell anyone that you think might also enjoy this podcast. Hey, it's the holidays are coming up, so if you, you spend time with your family, yeah, just send them a link. Be like, hey, what a, what a great podcast that you would really enjoy having in your ears. It helps us so, so much, and we really, really do appreciate that. So for Rob Zachney, this is Danielle Riendo wishing you the finest of idle weekends. <laughs>